Hello again. Welcome to Sonic Tooth. Uh, it's a place where I'll be talking about uh, a song or an album in depth, uh, maybe talk about the artist a little bit and uh, some other stuff I care about. So uh, thanks for joining me a second time around. Um, and a big thank you to anyone who checked out the first episode and your really awesome feedback. I decided to actually act on a few bits of it. Namely, instead of jarring snippets of a cassette being rewinded or any of the hundreds of other little sound effects that will last me the entire show from Anchor, I realized I can add entire songs through Spotify to this show. So all you have to do is listen to me through Anchor and use um, and connect your Spotify account or Apple Music account for that matter. And for those who don't have it, I will include the timestamps of the parts of the songs that I'm referencing so you can listen at home through other means. I also got feedback that uh, potentially the level of depth I get to for one song is a bit too much. So this time around, I'll utilize the same format, but I'll talk about a whole album. So to that end, I picked one that I'm very familiar with. It's one of my all-time favorite pieces of music. Um, today, we're going to talk about Mastodon's classic, Crack the Sky. So firstly, let's talk about a little bit the band themselves. Who are they, etc. And to get you in the mindset of their inception around the year 2000, 2002, here's a song of their debut album, uh, Remission, called March of the Fire Ants. Enjoy. Wow. I mean, welcome back. And I mean, you can really hear that they have this certain undeniable energy to them that can captivate you pretty much immediately. Um, and to that end, you know, Mastodon, they're an American heavy metal band from Atlanta, Georgia. As I mentioned, they formed in the year 2000. They're consisting of four members. You have Troy Sanders on the bass and vocals. You have Brent Hines on guitar and vocals. You have uh, Bill Kelleher on guitar and Brand Daler on drums and vocals. And right off the bat, your interest can be piqued as you notice that roughly, not roughly, exactly 75% of the band share vocal duties. And it's not a scenario where there is a front man and back you vocals, though uh, that is the case for their earlier work, um, with the album we'll talk about being the debut of Bran as lead vocal duties. But it turns out to be a versatile toolbox where each of these vocalists sound unique enough to add something different and create a feeling necessary for a particular song. And it actually creates an egoless approach to songwriting that really resonates with me, that really puts them above and beyond a particular, any other particular band as well. Um, the band's releases prior to Crack the Sky were a lot heavier. You had their debut, Remission, um, the sophomore effort and Moby Dick retelling of Leviathan, followed by their third album, Blood Mountain. And throughout all of these releases, Masson continued to imbue and integrate further elements of progressive rock and metal into their music. Um, a good example of this adaptation is the song Megalodon of Leviathan, where out of nowhere, Brent Hines shreds a rockabilly blues riff in between song section. Um, and that's at 115 to 145 of the song. Um, and you know what? Let's listen to it right now. I mean, how crushing is the riff following that little rockabilly break? And I think you're starting to understand what I'm trying to say, that we we basically have this refreshing band with an intense energy deciding to integrate further experimentation into their sound, which is important to, to know because they arguably hit their experimental zenith with today's album, Crack the Sky.
Okay, so a little bit about the album before we really dive into it. I remember when I got it, it was March of 2009. I was 16 years old uh, at this point, exploring all sorts of different music. I've listened to Mastodon before, but it, it really never clicked. I found them quite abrasive at the time for my musical sensibility. But everything changed when I heard this album. The, the band decided to relinquish some of the heaviness in favor of raw emotion and storytelling, but the riffs and energy were not sacrificed for that transformation. Plus, there's a cool concept, and, I, and I'm a sucker for those. I mean, listen to this rough synopsis from Wikipedia. Um, quote, The album follows a quadriplegic who learns astral projection. On his journey, he flies too close to the sun, burning his umbilical cord, which connects him to his body, and flies into oblivion. At the same time, in Tsarist Russia, Rasputin and his cult were channeling spirits and brought the quadriplegic to their time. He explains the situations and foretells the assassination of Rasputin. Inevitably, Rasputin is assassinated and Rasputin guides him back to his body. End quote. I mean, how can you not be excited about a story like that? Uh, I would also like at this point to shout out my friend Carla, who I mentioned in my previous episode, who often writes for the very popular blog, Heavy Blog is Heavy. Shout out to that blog as well. They're great. Whose analytical work I will be referencing throughout. I'll include a link in the description to that piece as well. So first off, the first song of the album, the opener, Oblivion. Check it out. What I like about Oblivion is that it's such a strong opener. The initial notes lull you into this trance. Uh, I remember from when I watched the making of videos Mastodon release with the album that Brent Hines commented on Oblivion saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, that it's pretty standard song structure-wise that feels as if it's standard length, but it's six minutes long. And that's pretty much exactly how it feels. And to that end, I want to highlight the following. You know, the verse riff at about a minute in is this lumbering, ongoing rhythm that contributes to this sense of trance, which really adds to the whole out-of-body experience feeling that Masson is going for here. Um, the chorus at 140 has this tension-filled riff that I really enjoy with Brent singing in a southern tr twang that eerily fits. Um, and just in that transition between the pre-chorus and the chorus, you can really understand Brand's ability to put an interesting drum fill on anything. It's one of the reasons he's one of my favorite drummers, period. Now, at this point in our story, the protagonist loses his umbilical cord, which connects him to his physical body. And this is a quote from the lyrics. I flew beyond the sun before it was time, burning all the gold that held me inside my shell. Now, this is where it's important to note that one of the main driving forces behind the deeper meaning of the album is Brand's sister's sky committing suicide. So we can start to read into an additional layer of meaning here, because a lot of this album is about Brand coping with this loss. Um, in the song that we heard, we hear Troy screaming, how can I tell you that I failed? So could this be Brand musing on failing his sister in some way? I leave that question with you as we dive into um, another highlight I'd like to, to discuss, which is the solo at uh, three minutes and 34 seconds. I mean, you really felt it, right? It's so soulful. And this song as a whole sets the album's spacey tone, which leads us to the next song, uh, Divination. And I'll catch you after that one. So this will be a short dive for a short song. It's extremely punchy, but it really highlights the band's musicianship. I mean, everyone's in top form. 
Brand is smashing his kit to pieces in a tasteful way. Uh, we have a groovy riff, riff carrying us through, and we have the benefit of multiple lead vocalists on full display here. You have Brent screaming the verses while Stroy wails in the chorus, you know, no escape. It really helps to keep things interesting. And speaking of keeping things interesting, for three minutes, there's a lot to unpack. You know, you have a banjo intro to a surf guitar solo at two minutes ten. And lyrics about worm, wormholes. I mean, you got rapid descendants. The wormhole is empty. It's just very dense song. And story-wise, we're hitting interesting territory where the protagonist's soul gets sucked through a wormhole and trapped in Rasputin's body. You know the the mystic from Tsarist Russia, Rasputin. Yeah, that guy. And uh, he'll be with us in the next song, Quintessence. Enjoy. So quintessence uh at this point i don't really know if i like the song because i've listened to this album so many times or because i genuinely like it but overall i view it as the low point in the album i find the introductory riff a little jarring and the chorus quite cheesy you know the let it go let it go that part but regardless of how i feel personally about this song i can't deny how freaking technical it is i mean my god even in simpler moments in the song the riffs bill and brent play in harmony mind you are just all over the fretboard and story-wise at this point rasputin hears of his impending death which in reality i mean the, his real death is shrouded in quite a lot of mystery i mean let's look at his track record in terms of that event supposedly he's been impacted by multiple heavily poisoned cakes many beatings, multiple stab wounds, he was bound and drowned in a river, and yet he was reportedly found dead the next day, frantically trying to scratch through the ice bed. So, in the words of a current meme going around, that's a lot of damage. Um, and look, we'll find what his fate actually is in the next song, The Czar. This, this bad boy is about 10 minutes, um, but believe me, it's worth it. I'll catch you after that. Oh man, I love this song. It's just so much proggy goodness in this. And as you just heard, we have an eerie melody welcoming us to the story where we find out that the Tsar has ordered the assassination of Rasputin. This part of the song is dubbed Usurper for a good reason. I really like how warm the bass sounds in this section, as well as the, the synths giving you this really ghostly atmosphere. Uh, the way Brent sings the lyrics here, uh, you know, don't stay, run away. I'm almost imagining a ghost talking to me. Um, it's, it, it's that ethereal. In short, what I really like about this song is the way it develops. It's able to take a motif and take it through multiple transformations whilst maintain, maintaining relevancy and immediacy in the song itself. So in other words, it doesn't get boring throughout its 10 minutes. Look, I can honestly talk about this song for ages, but I'll bring up a, two final points before continuing. One of my absolute favorite riffs of all time kicks in at about 3 minutes 40, and it's entirely due to the way it builds up the tension in the song. The riff gets repeated many times, and every time there's a little twist to it that makes it slightly better, whether it's the addition of a pinch harmonic, 
or you know quieting things down a little bit only to hit you with it again full on it's so incredibly satisfying to be taken on that journey and lastly to touch on the story by the end of this song Rasputin is dead by design and prophecy in this case and he's now taken upon himself to accompany the protagonist through the crack in the sky to find his body again now this part is very synonymous with the death of Brand's sister, Sky, where he mentions that her death was an act to crack the sky. That, how, that, that was how impactful it was on him. Also, that's where the name of the album comes from. And all of these motifs happening at once, it just makes for an epic climax to an epic song. Up next, uh, we have uh, the song Ghost of Karelia. Um, and uh, fair warning, enjoy the gong. Ooh, baby, that gong is just so good. Um, going back to that making of documentary I mentioned in the beginning, you really you see Bran holding a massive mallet in front of this huge gong, and he's just waiting for the musical cue to hit it. But you know, as you heard, there's a fair bit of uh, introductory riffing going on before the gong is hit. So he's just looking at the camera and around, almost as if he's tapping his watch, saying, "Yeah, come on, guys, I ain't got all day. Got a gong to hit here." Come on, any day now. Anyways, it's quite amusing, and every time I hear it now, I just have that image, so it just makes it quite funny. Um, this part of the story, we see Rasputin and our protagonists wade through a karmic storm as they encounter demons and Karelia, um, the Tibetan Lord of the Dead. And the sensation of this storm is really felt with the rumbling drums, the chugging guitars, and the way Troy growls all over the passage around 1 minute 40. But that riff comes and goes all the time. It's here that I'd like to directly quote Carlo, as he had a really interesting connection between the story and Sky's journey. And I, and I quote, Instead of soaring into heavenly skies, Sky is instead met with a darkness and emptiness similar to that which drove her to take her life. Whilst the song began with gongs, light, nimble percussion, and dreamy psychedelic guitars, as it progresses, it becomes increasingly heavy to the point that it has some of the heaviest passages on the record. Troy's vocals rasp atop huge aggressive riffs and bassy bellowing drumming, which sets the scene as hell itself. End quote. And to agree with Carlo here, you melodically feel this descent and this notion of sky being met with darkness rather than light on the other side can further galvanize Brand's pain and despair. And speaking of Sky, this next one is for her. The title track, Crack the Sky. It's probably one of the best intro riffs to a song I've ever heard. I mean, when I first heard it, the sheer surprise of the riff that we do have introduced you repeating in a different way and just extending the, the rawness of it just blew me out of the water. Bran really shines here, both in drumming and in vocals. And in uh, something that doesn't happen quite often in, in metal as a genre, we actually have a vocal feature on this song. We have Scott Kelly from the band Neurosis singing the har- some of the harsh vocals here. It's become a long-time tradition for Scott to provide guest vocals on a Mastodon song per Mastodon album. Uh, his first words on this song, around one minute and four seconds, you know, when he screams, Blessed Visionary, are pretty much seared into my brain for how memorable of an entrance that those vocals make in this song. And look, I just want to hammer home the subject matter with an additional layer of context. 
because I believe the anguish is palpable in this song, both when Scott sings and when Bran sings the clean vocals, whilst being an absolute machine on the drum kit, by the way. A good example of that is uh, a minute 20. Um, this is what Scott had to say when Bran approached him to sing guest vocals on the song. Quote, That song was a really, really heavy song to do. That song was about Bran's sister and how she passed away. And it was a story that I was familiar with from knowing Bran. When he decided to do that, he called me up to talk to me about it and said, this is what I want to do. And I really, really want you to sing the song. And I said, you know, sure, I will. I took it really seriously and I emailed with Bran's dad a couple of times and just talked to him about Sky. And then he sent me a photograph of her, actually. And I sat there and looked at that photograph of her and just kind of meditated on her and all of the situation and the family. And then actually set all that shit up in the studio and recorded the song with her picture there. And I just really tried to do it as real as I felt I could. End quote. As I said, palpable. Some of the lyrics really carry this point home as well, you know. Again, I'm quoting from the lyrics here. I can see her pain. It's written all over the fa her face. End quote. As Carla mentions, the lyrics showcase a duality both for Bran and our protagonist. As Bran is in internally struggling to let his sister go, so is our protagonist struggling to return to his body before his family lets it go as well, so to speak. Phew, okay. Here we go. The last song at 13 minutes long, The Last Baron. You can really tell the gang were listening to King Crimson a lot of the time, huh? Leaving the story open to interpretation, we're not really sure if the protagonist successfully made it back to his body. I like to think Rasputin was a total bro and they made it, but was his body waiting for him when he returned? Much like the Tsar, the last Baron is multifaceted and builds up like a roller coaster ride. Some of my personal highlights include the intro reaching its climax around 2 minutes 11 with a beautiful lead melody. I mean, rem remember how I said Bran is a drum fill machine? Yeah, he's working overtime here, buddy. <laughs> um, around five minutes, where the title of the song gets uttered, the song explodes with Troy echoing through your mind, will he save me? At this point, our protagonist isn't sure of Rasputin's intentions. Immediately following this, around five minutes 45, the nasty riff behind Bran shouting, I was standing staring at the world, it's just simply badass. I also have to give a nod and a shout out to our zany prog break around six minutes to completely change things up and amp up the ridiculousness of our character situation as well as a bluesy breakdown at around eight minutes 20. And of course, the epic solo to round off this epic album. Woo-wee! Are you tired of me yet? Well, I had a great time talking to you about one of my all-time favorite albums. Uh, I hope you found a new thing to listen to. And if you already knew it, uh, I hope you learned something new. Uh, in terms of uh, new releases this week, I'm not particularly excited for anything coming out, but I can recommend Zeal and Ardor's new album, Stranger Fruit, which is one of the most unique albums I heard in a while. I mean, black metal and gospel music, what? And anyways, in case you forgot, my name is Noam. Hope your sonic tooth has been satisfied. Shout out to Carlo for excellent research um, and heavy blog as a whole. Um, 
I'll post a link to the sources in the description. Let me know uh, what you'd like me to talk about next week. Um, bye.